and welcome to Motopod, the internet radio show all about motorcycle road racing. This is episode number 712 to kick off the new year. I'm Jim McDowell hosting the show with me from the UK, Richard Jowett. Rich, what is going on this evening in the UK? Well, good evening, Jim, and very happy new year to you and all of the listeners. Uh, I just wanted to say straight away, I'm glad to see that you've thawed out somewhat from what was some pretty gnarly looking weather that you had. I mean, it's not a joking matter because I know it was very serious over on your side of the water, unhappily over Christmas, but uh, glad to see you looking safe and well. Yeah, it was um, very cold. It was minus 31 Fahrenheit uh, with the wind chill here, so I'm not sure where that shows up in centigrade. It's cold. It was very cold. That's all we need to know. (laughs) It's very cold. It's so cold that like our dogs would walk out and do their business and turn right back around and come right back into the house. So don't blame them. Yeah. It was a little bit um, challenging to get to places for Christmas Eve and whatnot. So a drive that would normally take us, call it 45, 50 minutes, became hour and 15, hour and 20, almost hour, maybe even hour and 30 to get back. Wow. So yeah, it was difficult, but We're all here, all safe, and everybody had a good Christmas, a good New Year, so I guess we should be thankful, and hopefully everybody out there in Motopod land has done the same. And for everybody out there, we just want to say thank you for the continued donations and whatnot, and a special thank you to Alan Fleming for his kind donation, and a big shout out to our newest subscriber to the show, Jacob Rower, I believe it is, for his support now. Thank you, Jake. Appreciate it very much. As always, guys, if you could, remember to go to your podcast provider give us a rating a review helps us get back to the top of that list so that more people can find the show and makes the crowd bigger so we'll all be better hopefully and better so if you could do that we'd greatly appreciate it and if you got the means to throw in a dollar or two here and there we'd greatly appreciate that too as well you can go to www.motopodcast.com there's links to paypal and patreon and that would be much appreciated as well so with that mr rich let's cover some news that's floating around out there in the world of not particularly just motorcycles, but uh, in the world of motorsport per se, I will start with the sad and tragic news of the death of Ken Block. Now, I'm pretty sure everybody knows who Ken Block is, but for those of you who maybe are <laughs> stuck in a snowdrift still, he was the guy who basically gained his fame by uh, being a co-founder of DC Shoes, but more probably you know him as a YouTube sensation for his Jim Kunov videos where it was a combination of drifting and talent and you know hitting things with a back end of a car as he's spinning around and donuts and people riding around people with segues and whatnot. The films were amazing. They were very, very cool. Ken was 55 years old and had basically passed off the torch of the Jim Connor videos to one Travis Pastrana. Uh, although he did make a electric Kana video, which was an electric Audi rally car that was based on the S1 rally car. So if you're a car fan, a rally fan, you know that car well. It is probably one of the baddest rally cars that was ever built. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rich and I were old enough to know the Group B rally car era that that I can hear from. it in my head now, Jim. Uh huh. Yes. There's people who would line up in the woods for days just to be able to hear that car. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So that is sad that that has happened to Ken and he will be missed. Oh, massively. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the sad news. The good news is that racing is coming back. As always, there is the Dakar rally, which I personally like very much. I don't know if you ever really got into the, the Dakar or not, Rich, but for me, I like it. I think it's very cool. The idea of riding for 14 days on a motorcycle, basically around Saudi Arabia is appealing to me. So as of right now, they are done with stage six. And so in the motorcycle, 
cycle class. It's uh, Benavidez, who is the Argentine. He is leading the race. Second is Skylar Howells, who is an American who's trying to become the only the second American to ever win the Dakar on a motorcycle following the Ricky Brayback. And Howells is only 56 seconds behind his teammate at this time. That's like Rins beating Marquez by like a one thousandth of a second <laughs> in rally raid terms. It's nothing. <laughs> it's all to play for. Yeah. Uh, Australian Toby Price is third. Then it's uh, Juan Bray de Bort, uh, Kevin Benavidez, and uh, Quintilla Sanders. The one missing name is Ricky Brayback, the American. Now, Ricky did have a crash on the second stage of the event. He was taken to hospital, airlifted to hospital, so he is withdrawn from the rally. He was complaining of neck pain. They did have him in for observation for 24 hours. They found no fractures, technically no injury to it, but he is sadly out of the rally. And we do have American Supercross heading out this weekend for the first rounds. So there is racing, which is good. I must admit, Dakar's never really been something that I've tapped into. Not to say I don't like off-road stuff, because I do, but there's only so much you can fit in to life and to a marriage in particular without <laughs> getting court papers through the post. And we don't have a huge amount of TV coverage of it, I don't think, although there's probably quite a lot of online coverage now, I guess. I'm kind of following through Instagram, because I follow him on Instagram. Uh, there's a race, he's a TT rider, actually, called James hillier might be a name that you're familiar with he's riding dakar so that's one of the british guys not the only one i'm sure i'm kind of following his progress but i mean this is obviously a very dangerous event so it's good to know that the guy that came off is okay so yeah i guess we'll uh, presumably there's no petrucci involved this year jim no he's not there no right okay so because obviously that was a big talking point last year wasn't it that he did the Mm. dakar yeah, so I guess when we record the next show, we'll have to just sort of see how things ended up on that yep. one. I just wanted to say a quick word on Ken Block as well. I mean, that was really terrible. I mean, what a talent that guy was and absolutely kind of visionary, I think, really, wasn't he? T- certainly in terms of the way he took YouTube, I think I'm right in saying that his motorsport coverage on YouTube is the most watched of all time for any single channel anyway. So just terribly sad. And I also just wanted to add as well a name which might not be so familiar to a lot of people, but uh, it came out today that a chap called Ian Wheeler had passed away. Now, Ian was a very, very famous and highly, highly respected photographer. Been in the MotoGP paddock for years and years. And anybody like I was very lucky this year. I had Matt Oxley's uh, Rossi, all his races book came down the chimney this year for me. And it's got, obviously I can't show it. This is a podcast, but it's got that very, very sort of famous shot of Rossi with the Pink Floyd tribute helmet on. It kind of looks like it's a studio shot, but it was actually taken as he came out of a garage, just going out on a qualifying or practice run or whatever. So that's on the cover. And that was that was an Ian Wheeler shot. So, yeah, very sad to read today that Ian had passed as well. So we don't want to start the year on a sad note, but obviously we'd like to acknowledge, you know, that these things do happen. So condolences to both of the families involved there. The only other thing I just wanted to say, Jim, and again, just picking up on your shout out to our loyal subscribers and new listeners coming on all the time as well. We do have plans. We had a subscriber kind of round robin call back in, I think, spring, summer last year, didn't we? And one of the bits of feedback that we got from the guys, uh, this was kind of the Patreon supporters and the regular subscribers or contributors, was that perhaps we ought to see if we could track down a company or two that are relevant to the show, perhaps to come on board as sponsors of the show so that we can perhaps try to do a little bit more both in terms of perhaps looking at a bit of merchandise that we can give out to people that subscribe to the show just as an incentive for people to do so regularly and maybe to help us out with a bit more coverage at the events themselves. I mean, it would be good to get back to sort of the heyday when there was more interview action going on. We've got plans, both you and I, Jim, haven't we, for various interviews on Zoom and stuff over the coming weeks, but it'll be good to be able to get to a few more events and try and do some actual face-to-face interviewing as well. So that's really the reason for the shout out to the subscribers. Keep on doing it, guys. It helps us a lot. 
and giving some reviews of the show ticking the number of stars five stars hopefully you know all helps the algorithms and helps just raise the profile and keep because although it's niche it is a fairly busy marketplace with podcasts these days so we want to stand out you know our numbers are pretty good actually hopefully that's compelling to bring a couple of firms on that might be willing to give us a few dollars to put in the bank and to use for the benefit of the show so we've got big plans and aspirations for the show going forward this year and um, the support is obviously massively important and very much appreciated Yep. So we're here to actually continue ranking the writers the way that we see it from this past year. So we're going to Moto 2, correct, mm-hmm. Rich? Oh, Jim, before we move on, yes. one other bit of news. Okay. Pete McLaren, who writes for Crash.net, puts out loads of stuff on LinkedIn, actually. So I'd advise people to go and catch him on there. But he put out a, well, not a story, but put a note out this morning to say that Yamaha are in early talks with Jorge Martin about coming across to Yamaha for 2024. Hmm. What'd you make of that? Well, if Yamaha can get him, they're going to get a hell of a rider. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, how can I put this? You get the fact that Ducati's already got their house and it's full. And I don't think he wants to ride on a non-factory bike. So if anybody could ride the Yamaha about as hard as Quattararo, it'd probably be Jorge Martin. Yeah. I think he definitely could qualify it well. No doubt about that. The question is whether he could hang on to it for the whole race. And we've said that before. We said that in the previous ones. Like, you know, hey, this guy would be farther up and probably be a world champion if he could stay on during the race. But he makes, I don't know if it's the unforced error or how you want to explain it, but there's too many of them. And I'm sorry, but Bastianini doesn't do that. He saves the tire and that's and he's there at the end and that's what you want. And that's why Bastianini got the works ride that Miller's vacated, isn't it? And we know that Martin's nose was put at a joint because of that. And obviously he's quite an emotional guy. We were talking about him on the last show, obviously, when we did the MotoGP top tens and so on. So again, without stealing Pete McLaren's thunder, because I've been having this thought, we've kind of speculated on this several times previously anyway, Jim, but I suspect what might well happen because this also coincides with, let's say, alleged comments. I don't know if he's been directly quoted but Rossi kind of making comments back in Yamaha's direction that they need to improve the bike now I think this is very much in and around the strong likelihood that VR46 will become the satellite Yamaha squad from 2024 onwards so I suspect wild prediction time but I would put some money on Marini staying in the VR46 squad for obvious reasons plus he's you know had a good season and he's a very good rider I think Morbidelli would switch across to Rossi's team I think Bezeki would go to Pramac and Martin will go to Monster Yamaha. The only kind of unknown in all of that is top rack Razgatioglu, who may well end up staying for his whole career in World Superbikes. But I, for one, will be very sad if he doesn't make it across to MotoGP. Not to say that he would have to come on a Yamaha, but that seems the obvious path. But um, there you go. Wild prediction. Uh, I mean, we haven't even got into the 2023 season yet, and I'm already talking about who's going where in 24. But uh, again, interesting to know what people think, you know, on the conspiracy theory front. But anyway, that was a little bit of news I picked up over the last yeah. couple of days. So that reminded me of something else that I had heard. I think I saw this as a video. I think it was the race possibly or GP1. Please, I don't remember exactly which one, but it was a video about Mark Marquez and his brother and how Marquez, Mark Marquez, that is, has basically told Honda, I want to win with you. I want to win world championships. I want to do it with you. But if you can't get me a bike that will do it, I will go elsewhere to win these championships because I think there's a strong desire for him to equal or not better Valentino Rossi's records. Yeah. So with that, it was interesting because Alex has left, was a Honda HRC factory rider for a year. 
He then left and went to LCR. He's now done with LCR and has gone to Grassini. Contractually, he's not allowed to talk about the bikes, but you could tell that after the test in Valencia, he was very upbeat. And he made a lot of comments in this video about how Ducati works, how even though this was a satellite bike and it may not have been the exact bike the factories had, that DG Giulina himself had come down to his box and said, hey, here's me. This is the team. These are the people. These are the guys that want you want to talk to. If we have problems, we'll be here for you. And kind of gives the, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but gave the impression that Ducati just wants to make the bike better. They don't care one way or another. They just want to make this bike better. And the more input that they get, the better it is. You have had this rant with Suzuki needing another bike, another set of bikes on the grid. I think Aprilia has kind of been that same thing to make it better. They're going to have to have more feedback from more riders, more varying people mm -hmm. and whatnot. So it remains to be seen what Honda is going to do. I mean, I still think given the way Mark walked out of the Valencia test, they're not close yet. And we're not going to know anything until I think they start testing February. Yeah. And I think there's two tests in Sepang. I think one's that week of the February 5th and then another one, I think two weeks later again in Sepang. And then there will be one in March at Puerto Maya. Yeah. And that's right before the season starts. So there's some time to build something better for Mark, but time's running out. So it just, it's, if, you, if you find it, you search it, it's in your YouTube feed somewhere, guys, I'm sure. Take a look at it, listen to it. It's interesting, the striking differences that are there. And I don't want to see the marriage break up, but... What do you think, Jim? Just we're rambling already. <laughs> what else is do new? You, what do you, yeah, exactly. Start as we mean to go on. What's your view on the idea that it adds credibility to somebody's record if they can win a title on more than one manufacturer bike? I don't think it affects anybody's reputation. Do you think any less of Mick doing because he won all of his titles on Honda? Well, <sighs> I kind of like it when people are able to demonstrate that they can go to, because it's not just about the bike, right? It's about the team, the culture, particularly if Mark was to go to, say, KTM or, or Ducati, for that matter, both European companies, very different in the way that they operate and the mentality and the culture and so on. I, I think there is a, a level of kudos which comes with that, that I think really does add to somebody's um, legacy. Let's put it in that terminology. And I, I do have a sneaking suspicion that at least partly Ducati's ploy in bringing Alex over is to open that channel to Mark because I think they would probably quite like to have him on the bike for a season or two. But having said that, that's not doing any disservice to Alex Marco because I have a sneaky suspicion he might turn a few heads this year because, as you say, he looked like the proverbial pig in Duda <laughs> just after one day, let's not forget, uh, you know, having toiled away and had, you know, a few decent results on the Honda, both the Repsol and the LCR, but just like lots of Honda riders just could never get his head around the front end of the bike. So it remains to be seen, but I think Ducati are playing a clever long game there but as you said Jim going back to Jorge Martin which started all this off they can't keep everybody in the camp so you know it's an embarrassment of riches problem again isn't it right so to finish my part of the thought out is that I do think that there's something to it if you went on a different manufacturer because if you start to go through and you and you think about the greats or from your point of history like what you can remember your own self you know I kind of put Lawson up there because he did it on a Yamaha, then did it on a Yamaha again, then did it on a Honda immediately yeah. afterwards, right? So you, you kind of think that, but there's been so few that have actually really done that, that they that they stand out maybe that little bit more. Mm. But if you break it down, was Lawson any better than doing in a rider ability? No. Do you think any less of Spencer? No, you don't. You remember Spencer because he won a 250 and a 500 title in the same year, which again is something uniquely different that he did. Yeah. I think everybody paints their own page and their own picture. But if you're at that level and you win a world championship, nobody 
slid into it right God, no 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 and it's a folly to compare different eras as well it's like this, right. who's the greatest of all time you can't right possible to say no it's impossible bikes are different times are different tires are different it's all different but if you were going to stack everybody up and you sit there and you said okay give me your list of the greatest somebody who's won a title on two different bikes is going to be there you know lawson did it i think we ran this list at one point i know lawson had done it on different bikes i know there's others but i can't come up with it off the top of my head because i know it's not just him but there's others who have done it well so, Rossi and Stoner are the two recent ones, I suppose, aren't they? Stoner is, yes, Stoner, but Rossi never won a title on a Ducati. No, but he won, on, won the title on the Honda and Yamaha, and he did 500s and motor or four strokes as right. well, which is, you know, another part of his legacy. But uh, yeah, it's just an interesting debate, that one. And oh, one it is. That, you know, is, is unresolvable, really, because everybody's got their subjective take on that. And mm. so I'm sure people might have something to say on that. But anyway, there we go. That was another little bit of news yeah. that we picked up uh, <laughs> on the channels. Things will continue to build as we get closer to the season, which is, let's face it only what six or seven weeks away so that's uh well superbikes gets going in february i think or the end of february so it's a very short off season these days yeah it's almost like it's 24 7 now yeah but all right so we can actually do what we were here to do (laughs) (laughs) so let's put the moto two riders in the order that we think we want to go what uh bottom to top as always yeah i think so okay so my number 10 is uh sam lowe's i put him there sam had a terrible season with injuries and whatnot but he was never looking that good to begin with at the beginning of the year the form that he had has evaporated and i honestly can't tell you why that it's gone but i put him there just as the just in the the guy in the window near on the outside looking in sneaking in okay so mine and again for both of us i'm sure jim this is going to be the case this is a purely subjective thing it's all subjective i've definitely got a few on my list that i'm looking at them now thinking "Hmm, (laughs) that was an odd choice rich but it felt right at the time so my number 10 is a chap (laughs) you might have to think about who this is manuel gonzalez oh yes okay yeah now gonzalez was a grad from the Supersport 300 paddock over on the World Superbike uh, card. He was actually the champion in that series in 2019. He kind of dropped off the map a little bit. I was looking at his history earlier on, just as doing a little bit of research for this. I don't really know what he did in 20 and 21 particularly, but anyway, he ended up in the VR46 Master Camp team, this sort of sub-Yamaha talent feed team in Moto2. And he had a pretty steady season, to be honest. He had the fifth place in Portimao. And then at the end of the season, he had a very strong run in. He had fifth fifth and sixth in the last three races so i think he's a very promising talent you know as a super sport 300 and that's that is a super competitive championship if anybody's ever watched any of those races it's through the fingers stuff so to win that outright in 2019 took a bit of doing so he's obviously got class and as i say he's stuck in my memory just because he was showing up in the top six towards that last part of the season so he made it onto my 10th place even though he was 16th in the championship overall but I think you know one to watch next year for sure very possible mm, okay so number nine I put Albert Arenas here there's was yep. I would take quite a few simple mistakes that kept him from being higher up and winning races but he obviously has done enough because he gets the prime he's going to uh, is he wait a minute he's Io mm, Io yeah he's going to the prime seat at Io so uh, he's obviously done enough to, to merit that he's He's a former you know, Moto3 world champion. He has adapted to the bike and his results were strong, but not the best. And he's coming from, what is the team he was current, was on last year? I, well, he's been on Gas Gas, yeah, with Jake it the Dixon. Gas, it was the Gas Gas with Jake Dixon. So he's going to the prime IO ride to partner Acosta. Now, Arenas is no match for the kid, I think, but... 
you know, fair play. You're good enough to be there. You're good enough to be on that bike. Somebody saw something in you that maybe I didn't. So maybe he should have been farther up on my list. But I kind of look at, again, it's subjective. But if you look at it, it's kind of like you heard Aranis' name, but usually it was for the wrong reason because he was flying through the gravel trap. Yeah. No, I think ninth is a fair position. I've got him a little bit higher on my list, but I'm pretty much on the same page as you, Jim. So my ninth place is Fermin Aldegar. Now, He's very, very young. I mean, 17 years old, which is crazy to think of really being in Moto2 at that age. Very, very fast. And he was the chosen one in that Boscoscura team. He was the CEV Moto2 European champion the previous year, although he did quite a few uh, world championship rides for Boscoscura last year as well. Probably about a third of the season he managed to take up some rides, albeit not in the speed-up team, but running a Boscoscura chassis anyway. He was sort of strong in the first part of the season and then Alonso Lopez turned up once they turfed Romano Fanati out of the other side of that garage and Aldegar kind of went a little bit missing in action. So he needs to have a better year next year and his teammate is going to run rampant, I think, next year. That team is unchanged with Lopez uh, and Aldegar in it in the speed-up squad. So he he's very, very fast, but he's very, very young. So he's got plenty of time on his side and he was, as I said, the European Moto2 champion the previous year on the boss. So all the signs point towards him having a very good 2023. For me, he just kind of slipped off the radar a little bit and perhaps didn't quite handle the success that was coming on the other side of the garage. So that's why I put him in ninth. But I fully would expect him to be much higher up my list next year. Mm, Okay. So number eight, I have it as a tie. I have Songkat Chantra slash Aldegar in the eighth spot. Well, Songkat Chantra literally is a tie because that's where he's from. (laughs) He's here all week. He's here all (laughs) week, folks. Tip your waitresses. Okay. Oh, no, carry on, Jim. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. So I couldn't decide who I wanted there. So I put them both. Aldegar, for mainly the reasons you said, he was sort of the chosen one for the Boscoscora. He did look good. He's 17. His first races of the season were spectacular. I mean, I think the race uh, in Argentina was probably one of his better races. He was there at the front only to be taken out in that race as, yeah. it went, as time went on. Chantra was... I think more consistent than he has been. And from like the Austrian round on Chantra was very close. And then when he got back to home turf, he was really looking really good and was at or near the front for most of the Asia rounds that we had. He doesn't seem to be able to do it consistently, but he does kind of pull things out and put together, you know, of a 20 race season, he puts maybe eight or nine good rides together. So that's why I have him down in eight. Okay, so my eighth place was Songkhyat Chantra. I don't, okay. I mean, he, as I say, he is a tie, but I don't have him tied with anybody. Um, <laughs> so a bit like your comments really, so I've written, you know, he's, first of all, he's impossible to dislike. I mean, it's such a breath of fresh air having somebody that looks that damn happy to be there, which is not something you can say about everybody in the paddock a lot of the time. Let's not forget he won the race in Indonesia Yes, quite early in the season. I think it was a wet race, wasn't it? Or a wet dry race, perhaps. Uh, he just sort of disappeared in that race so he was sublime there but then it was all kind of disaster at his home round again in very very wet weather if you remember he went bolting off at the front and just kind of lost it on a puddle easy to do I'm sure so that was a bit heartbreaking but and what I really like about him is he's really quite feisty to cast your mind back Jim to Austria after the summer break Ayagura believe won that race and was starting to build his at that point title push and Chantra had a real nibble at him on the last couple of laps and we were thinking oh my god if he crashes into him it's going to be proper fisticuffs and in the end he didn't beat 
Aguirre, but it was close both in terms of hitting him <laughs> um, uh, and there wasn't much between them as they went over the finish line. But, you know, he really showed some metal and they're obviously great buddies, those two, Aguirre and Chantra. So that's a good team. And that again, that's another team that remains unchanged for the season. So it'll be interesting to see how they progress and hopefully develop a bit further, both of them. Okay, so seventh on my list is the American Joe Roberts. Oof, controversial. Yes, controversial, but he won a race in Porto Mayo. Yes, I know it was a seven lap dash for the cash. I get that most of the people that you want there obviously have fallen off somewhere along the way beforehand, right? So that's kind of the controversial part of it, putting Roberts there. You look at it from that standpoint, yes, but also, it's also I've, I have slash Kinnett there. Because mm-hmm. I feel like Kinnett was riding well at times, but also couldn't complete it. Like early in the year, he was riding very well. He had the injuries and then he came back and I'm like, and he rode pretty good at the end of the season, but was making again the unforced error. So I felt like they're t- sort of similar to each other. Oh, fair enough. So my seventh place is Albert Arena. So I've gotten a wee bit higher up than you had him, Jim. But again, my mm-hmm. thoughts very much along the lines of yours. 2020 Motor 3 champion, let's not forget. And on the face of it, I thought, you know, his results didn't look very good good when you kind of look at the chart for the year but there was a lot of speed there and i'm sure that, that is what has got him the ride at io uh taken over from the champion who's gone up to moto gp so i mean obviously as you said jim somebody has seen something there that can be polished and refined he just needs to stop crashing out of good positions his results are poor but most of the time he was either retiring or picking the bike up off the ground and finishing lower down than he should have done but very fast in qualifying and got faster as the season went on so i think the end result doesn't really quite tell the entire picture he will however have to make good use of that seat and as you said Jim he's got a person on the other side of the garage who is well definitely title favourite or one of the title favourites for next year I mean we thought he was this year and he probably could have been if he hadn't been injured but Acosta is going to be another one running rampant next year I fancy so Arenas has a real job on his hands and he will need to reduce his crashes and be much much more consistent if he's going to well A if he's going to do well and B if he's going to hold on to that seat Yes, very true, very true. Uh, Number six, I put Alonzo Lopez here. I thought when he came in as a replacement for Fanati on the Bascacora, he just rode the bike by the scruff of the neck and said, we're going places. And from that moment forward, when he took over, he did nothing but make the Bascacora look good and was in the top five in almost every race thereafter and got the one win along the way too, which we know the Bascacora works on some tracks, but not all tracks, but he definitely made it look much better than it is. And if they can use his development skills and push the bike in a direction that favors him that little bit more, I look for him. Him to be farther up the front and challenging for more than one or two wins in a season definitely okay well sixth place for me was jake dixon mm, okay first moto two win eluded him again but he was pretty much nailed on top six performance all season long didn't have a very good first round at qatar but we always say qatar's a bit of a strange track in many respects and isn't representative of the rest of the season he had six podiums during the season uh one of which was silverstone which was obviously very exciting for those of us that were there as brits so that's why i'd put him in sixth place you know he's very very consistent very fast kind of chucked it up the road in that portomar race that dash for cash mm. he was in front of roberts at that point on the on that first lap of the restart of the seven laps so he could have done it there but unfortunately he went down but other 
other than that was a rare kind of moment of things not going terribly well for him. I think in 2023, to, you know, he has to win a race next year. He'll be super disappointed if he doesn't. And let's not forget, he's got Ethan Guevara coming across to replace Arenas in that team. Now, we don't know how quick and how well that transition from Moto3 to Moto2 will go. I suspect it will go quite well and quite quickly. So Dixon needs to consolidate his position in that team. And I expect that he will do so. I don't think... Choose my words carefully here. I don't think he's like, you know, like a super, super talent. I mean, he's clearly very, very talented, but he's not one of these otherworldly guys. He's one of these guys that just keeps on developing and growing and getting better year on year. But I think this will be his fourth season of Moto2 coming up this year, fourth or fifth, possibly even. Certainly the fourth anyway. So he will need to make some inroads uh, this year and, and get a win or two under his belt, I think. Anyway, solidly sixth place in the championship and sixth place on my list. Okay. I have Dixon at number five. I okay. put him one higher. Yep. I liked what he had in the middle of the season. He had like three podiums on the trot with, I think, coincided with the Silverstone race. Mm-hmm. Nailed on to top sixes for most of it. His qualifying, I thought, had improved immensely. There was quite a number of front row starts that Dixon did have. And if he wasn't on the front row, he was in that second row more times than not. So he seems to have had the qualifying figured out, which we've all said that <laughs> it's funny. You can be on the first three rows. You're the Sorry, you can be on the first four rows of a Moto3 race, the first three rows of a Moto2 race, but you better be on the first two rows of a Moto GP race to win. And Dixon decided he was going to be there with the Moto2 guys most of the time in those top six spots. But he, you're right. He has to put his stamp of authority on the team if he wishes to remain there. Otherwise, that seat that he has will be taken by someone else. Mm. Uh, it's just the cutthroat part of it. If Dixon were to lose this ride, the gas gas ride here, for next year, he he's not leaving Moto too, right? There's he's he'll be on a, a Taltrans, a, a Pons, something of that nature. Yeah, I, I kind of see his positions sort of somewhat analogous to where Cameron Bobier was, you know, because Dixon, <laughs> like Bobier, came across from the domestic superbike championship. Dixon was very good in BSB, didn't win the championship, but he was runner up the year that he left the championship. Let's say and came across to Moto too, so he has great pedigree, but he's not super young like a lot of the people that come into the category are. I think if he's got one, I hope I don't do him a disservice here because I'm just trying to remember back. I think his main weak point now, because as you say, his qualifying improved a lot this season compared to previous years. I think the one part of his game now that could do with improving and will certainly help his aspirations to win races would be to get off the line better and not get shuffled back down the pack on the first couple of laps because he seems to be one of these guys that, you know, starts in sixth or fifth and ends up lap one in ninth or tenth, you know, and then he has a bit of a job to get back through the field. And if you've got some of the people that we're going to come on to on our list five or six seconds up the road. Moto2 is such a tight championship that it's a devil of a job to make up that sort of ground in a field that is that competitive. So I think that would be probably the area of the game that Jake himself and the team will be working on for this coming season is just being better off the line. Not elbows out more because he's, you know, he's a very competent, aggressive rider. But for some reason, my recollection is that he kind of dropped back quite a bit in the early parts of races and then had to fight his way back through, which is obviously not helpful for a variety of reasons. So hopefully we'll see that sort of progress from him this year. You know, that's one thing about the Kalex chassis. It seems like there's a lot of people who have trouble with a full fuel load at the beginning of a race on the Kalex. I mean, everybody's basically running a Kalex, right? There's only two Bosca Coras mm. that are on the grid. So not everyone has that problem, but it seems like certain people do. Now, I'm going to ask you this because I don't know the answer. Is Jake Dixon relatively tall? Yeah. It's only the guys who are tall who have a problem with the front. Mm. 
Now, I don't know if that's is it a body position thing where they got too much weight forward. So the front wants to push with the extra weight of the fuel. I don't know. But I noticed that the guys that are taller tend to have this problem with that chassis. The yeah. guys that are more my height, 5'8", five, 5'6", five, somewhere around in there, don't seem to have that problem as much. I mean, I don't know how tall Jake Dixon is, but I'm going to say he's probably 5'10", five, 5'11". Five, right. I must admit, I don't know the answer to the question I'm about to pose. And I'm sh- pretty sure I, the answer is that, that there is a combined rider weight limit in Moto2, but is there a minimum weight? I mean, I don't, I'm not quite sure on that, but let's work on the basis that there is a kind of combined bike and rider weight so that there's a sort of leveling of the playing field as much as is possible. But it is still a disadvantage if you're taller because you are going to be heavier and the weight is in the wrong place. And that indeed might be part of the problem that he has on lap one and that's a bit of a difficult problem to solve if that is the case yeah so i don't know but he's very very good jake dixon and he's had a really good year much better than the preceding year which is what you know he will have wanted to have seen and the team and all of his fans so yeah just hope he'll have another one like that sorry i'm being very partisan because i've no, spoken you're allowed to be partisan for too long about a brit but um obviously i support him massively because he is a brit and he's a good guy okay so my number five just now sit yourself down my number five is Aikira. Controversial there, my friend. Yeah. Now, my notes on this are, and again, this is partly my recollection because I didn't look at the qualifying results, but I kind of consider Aguirre to be a bit of a poor qualifier, which is an area of his game that he will need to improve upon. But, I mean, he is superb on a Sunday. He's like the Brad Binder of Moto2, isn't he? Really, Aguirre. What else have I written here? It just unraveled over the last three rounds for him. Just whatever went wrong, went spectacularly wrong. There was the Sepang calamity. (laughs) I can't think of any other way of putting it, really. So, for me, the only question mark on him is just his ability to manage the pressure and the expectations that are growing all the time as people kind of shuffle him towards that LCR squad, where we thought he might be this year. Okay, he's got another year to try and win the title in Moto2 but things appeared to get on top of him at the end of last season and so that is a a weakness in his armour that will need to be addressed so for that reason and even though he was second in the championship I just sort of for me that marked him down a little bit okay that's fair I see where you're coming from there it's harsh to put him in fifth for a guy that finished second in the championship and won I think three races in the season yeah three I think there was a pole several front row starts yeah so yeah there was a lot there uh that brings us to the fourth position here uh, I have Tony Arbolino in fourth. Okay. Mm-hmm. He had an early season strength. Uh, he looked really good in Texas until he lost it and had fallen off. He bounced back. He was in the hunt or near the hunt, but towards the end of the year, it was more Arbolino being at the front than not being at the front. It was like the switch had been turned on and he figured out how to get to grips with the Kalex, to get together with the heavier bike and was starting to really run some good races. I only see him being better, but he's going to have to be more consistent across it if he wants to be a title contender next year. A win here, a win there with long stretches in between is not going to do him any good whatsoever. But I felt like he was just that guy just off the podium. Mm -hmm. Close, knocking on the door. Yeah, okay. So fourth for me, again, possibly slightly controversially, is Augusto Fernandez. Now, okay. how can you put the champion in fourth place? Right? Well, um, well, I know exactly why you did, because I probably did it for the same reason. Yeah, I mean, for me, OK, champion, four wins, which is, was impressive, because I think there were seven different race winners this season. I mean, Moto2 was bloody brilliant this year. I think possibly the best season ever. I'm pretty sure there were seven, possibly even eight different race winners. I've got five. But, we'll go through uh, it in a minute. But don't forget, you had okay. Roberts, who won one race. You had Chantra. Yeah. 
the one Chantra. one race. Yes, right. Uh, Vietti won a hat full of races. That's I forgot Vietti. That's six. Yeah, well, I mean, it was hard to remember Vietti by the end of the year. But um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm pretty sure it was it was seven, six, seven. Anyway, Fernandez, you know, for me, sort of a steady, experienced campaign because he's been around. He's a very intelligent rider, super guy to listen to when you hear him being interviewed and stuff. But it was all a bit sort of unremarkable, which is probably doing him a major disservice because he did what you have to do, which is to be sort of remorselessly competitive and consistent. And, you know, he didn't chuck it up the road very much. He did once or twice. Did he bin it in Australia, possibly? Can't remember now. But he had a, a sort of a get-off towards the end of the season, which was slightly odd. Yeah. You know, he goes up to MotoGP next year, obviously, undeservedly so. But I don't know if he's going to be the kind of guy that can really cut through in MotoGP. And recent Moto2 champions haven't had the best time of it. So, or certainly the last one didn't, into that same team. So, yeah, possibly a little bit harsh to put Fernandez in fourth. But anyway, that was my take on it well i'm fascinated here to see the top three from you <laughs> yeah okay good so third i put pedro acosta and he's there for me based on the fact that either he was trying too hard or didn't quite have it all figured out at the beginning mm-hmm. and he threw it away more times than not when he shouldn't have which is the rookie mistake that some people do and as simon crayfire has repeated over and over again it's so much harder to ride the bike with bigger wheels the weight transfer the dynamics of what happens as you go into a corner as you tip into the corner all of that is in a very different playing field than what you're used to if you've ran on a motor three bike again yeah. with acosta he came from the cev where he was riding a bike extremely similar to it he knew how to set it up he knew how to set it up for most of the tracks that he was at and he had a phenomenal run on a moto three bike when he got the tracks that he didn't know it kind of fell backwards a little bit notably silverstone but still he somehow pulled something out of the bag there at the end in his moto three races but if he hadn't have broken his femur there's a possibility the championship would look different than it does because when he sort of came back from that and he felt his way through it, I think it gave him that time to reset and think about what he was doing and think about how he was going to ride. And I think that also at that point when his leg got broken, it took the mental pressure of winning the world championship as his rookie year in Moto2 off the table. And I think he got to ride. I think like Io kind of looked at him and said, look, kid, just ride. Go out there and ride. Let's try things. Let's do things. Let's set this up. Let's find our footing. So when we come back next year, we're just going to come in here and dominate. And by the end of the year, you could see signs or I think I saw signs of a kid that's going to come out and not so much dominate like he dominated Moto3, but he's going to win a handful of races easily. And he's probably going to make a lot of those races look real easy when he does it. Again, I think we touched on this last time out. I think his problem, if anything, next going into next or this season, I should say, given that he's a pretty cocky, mm-hmm. uh, sort of arrogant in the right way, but slightly abrasive to some from the outside looking in, certainly. But overconfidence might be his Achilles heel early next season if he's not careful. Mm-hmm. That would be my take. I but agree with you. Jim, I, I had Acosta in third place on my list as well for pretty much exactly the same reasons as you did. Tricky start to be expected. Uh, I mean, I remember a great interview with Aki Ayo early in the season where he was saying, I have no expectations of Pedro Acosta this season. I just want him to learn the bike and to improve as the season goes on. And that is precisely what he did. I think he won three races in the season as well. I can think of two off the top of my head, but I can't come up. I can't come up with a third. Did I write it down? <laughs> as you say, that mid-season break kind of 
took the wind out of themselves in one way, but allowed him to come back stronger, which I think is a a measure of a good rider as well, is to kind of take it on the chin and come back and just carry on and, and improve. So he should have won them all, but he crashed from the lead, if you remember. And then Correct. he bounced back at the next race, I think, which was Mugello, and he won that one. Correct. Then he had the leg break, and then he won two races. He won... I think at Aragon, and he definitely won at Valencia, the final race of the year. So I'm that's pretty right, sure he, did he had win three at Aragon wins. And Valencia, that's right. So yeah, pretty much exactly everything that you've said, really, uh, in terms of his how his year went. He should probably would have been much higher up, certainly in second, and possibly even might have won the championship if it hadn't been for that, because he probably would have gone on a quite a winning spree, I think, if he hadn't had that two, three race layoff kind of mid-season. But for me, I've, as I'll come to, I've got him as my joint 2023 title favourite. Mm. Okay, uh, so we're up to second yep. place. Here I put Augusto Fernandez. One, he was the champion. Mm-hmm. Two, he rode the way you need to ride to be a champion. The consistency above all else. And nothing was necessarily gifted to him. Is he the brightest star on the grid? No. Is he talented? Very much so. <laughs> you know, he's got the ride to go to MotoGP. I'm just afraid that that gas gas and MotoGP is just going to chew him up and spit him out. I know we do this all the time, but to me, the gas gas team in MotoGP is becoming like AlphaTauri in Formula One. It's going to be the meat grinder of the of all the young talent that you have, and you either perform right as soon as you get there, or else they're just going to throw you out, and you're going to go ride a, a second rate Aprilia, a second rate Ducati for years, and then eventually go off into obscurity. Right? Yeah. I just that's how I feel. It's see, that's what I see in it. There's the favorite son, right? Brad Binder. There's the soon to be. <laughs> Mm. heir to the throne of ktm yeah. who's the coming messiah coming right he, <laughs> yeah. right he's the sire who's coming right then it's like okay well who else is going to be there well it's going to be whoever else is coming from moto three in the next two years or whatever but they're all going to go through this meat grinder of the, of the tech three gas gas group and i just don't want it to be that way because i think a lot of these people deserve to be there but you're just it's the pressure to perform is just going to get ever more increasing and i don't know that he could perform because when agura got close it kind of you know it got to him mm. and i don't think you can afford those mistakes straight into moto gp now but i think for uh, fernandez i think his saving grace might be one of two things if things go as i think they might firstly i'm hoping that as i think i said in the last show i'm hoping tech three as a team and in terms of their management take a lesson from what happened last season which was a well i don't want to use a swear word but <laughs> it was not a very edifying sight a lot of what went on publicly between riders managers and team owners and team personnel let's put it that way so hopefully tech three will conduct themselves with slightly more decorum this year which might provide a happier atmosphere overall which will only benefit riders and i think having polled a Spargo, fellow Spaniard, much more experienced, a steady influence. He's very happy to be back. You know, he had Gardner and the other Fernandes last year, which I don't suppose they had very much to say to each other for most of the season. So I wonder if Augusto Fernandes and Paul Espargaro in that team this season will just be a happier atmosphere and a more productive kind of place to work and to improve. But as you say, Jim, it's a results-based business. It's utterly ruthless. So if Fernandes doesn't bag himself a good few top tens this season, I think he'll be, yeah, looking, having to look over his shoulder. 
Oh, fair points. Fair point. Second place for me, again, a bit controversial perhaps, but bear with me. I've, mm-hmm. I've got Tony Arbolino in second place. You know, when I got to the top four, it was hard for me to figure out exactly what order did I want them in. And it's mm. by thin margins. Yeah. And totally subjective. So again, Arbolino, like Acosta, won three races. Let's not forget that. He was kind of somewhat under the radar, although, as you said, kind of had a strong run again towards the end of the season. Second year in Moto2. It was a coming of age year for him, I think. And he's kind of that guy, I feel, that this coming season, he really needs to put himself in the shop window if he wants to get anywhere near MotoGP because it seems to me that you make the jump quite quickly or you stay in Moto2 for quite a long time or you decide... You know, you're going to have to go down the World Superbike route or even a domestic Superbike Championship. BSB was coming to my mind. But I just thought when you look at his results, he had a really, really strong season. And he was carrying all the weight in that team because Sam Lowe's was injured for most of the year. So I think all things considered, Tony Arbolino had a really, really strong second year. And it was his first year in the Mark VDS team as well because he was in the Liquid Molly team was he was Schrotter I think think the year before that and they didn't have a stellar first year in Moto2 but this year was certainly much much better and as I say three wins speaks for itself as far as I'm concerned yeah uh, I, all good points for having him there. I can't argue against it. Like this was really hard because it's like, where do you put some of these guys? Yeah, you know, there's circumstances that are out of their control. That you know. Yeah. So drum roll, top step of the drum podium. Roll. Then off you go. If you got him first, Ayagura. I thought you might. <laughs> and this is my reasoning behind it. Yes, I know that he folded like a wet noodle. <laughs> you know, did not win a championship that he probably really should have won. But I loved Ayagura's heart all season long. The he just doesn't give up there's just that drive and the drive is what cost him the title right he didn't realize that he should have just stayed in second and ran out behind chantra was out front right in sepang uh he was trying to put the move when he came down he, he yeah. was trying to put the move on arbelino but i think arbelino, that was okay, for so second it, wasn't it i think i can't remember exactly i thought it was the lead but I, whatever it's been too long ago to remember exactly what it is keep talking but, i'll have a look <laughs> yeah that's fine so yes but there was this desire to win that i felt was so passionate for him that he had to ride that way he's one of those people that i think he only knows one way and it's wide open and on the edge the whole time and i admire that from my seat and having done this and you know even at at just a club level i've always admired the guys that just go for it all the time and i thought it was his missed opportunity he's got one more crack at it but unfortunately he's got arbolino and acosta to worry about because those are the three who are going to be dominating the podium and dominating the front and the racing next year is going to be pretty damn good and pretty tight and maybe it's going to take that racer attitude to win to get there so yeah i put it there i've just checked you're absolutely right jim that was for the lead so arbolino did win the race at sepang so yeah that was an unnecessary move i mean everything you say is correct like you, I really like Aguirre and I rate him. He needs to be more of a Saturday man to make his life easier on a Sunday because he is brilliant on a Sunday. He's a bit like Bastianini in his ability to maintain a rear tyre, isn't he? And, and come yeah. through strong towards the end. So for me, he just needs to be a bit stronger mentally. And it, I mean, he's very, very Japanese, very, very reserved. So it's hard to sort of get a read. I'm not suggesting that he's unmotivated. Clearly he's not. He finished second in the championship, for goodness sake. But when the chips were down, he folded. Like you said, I love the whole wet noodle thing. That's brilliant. So for me, that's why I kind of dropped him back in my list a bit. But I can entirely see why you have him in first place. See, I also think that his qualifying was better towards the end of the year. There was more front rows. And he had a front row in Valencia. He had 
a front row in Sepang. He had maybe second row in Australia, I think. So to me, I think he got better qualifying towards the end of the year. So I thought, you know, maybe that springboard, you carry that momentum forward as you go into next year. I don't care. It's going to be, we're never going to be able to predict exactly what's going to happen in the season. But you got to think Agura, Acosta, Arbolino, and maybe Lopez are the guys that are going to be at the front all the time. And it's in that case, you kind of say, well, they all got a pretty good amount of experience. Who's got the heart? Sometimes mm. is what it takes. And, you know, maybe it's a girl. I don't know. But, uh, you know, sound reasonings. Absolutely. You know, it's opinion. It's, it's it's subjective. It's it's as it is what it is. But I'm interested to see who you have at the top because I saw your eyes roll here once or twice as we've been <laughs> going through this. So I want to know who you have at the top. Uh, well, it's not Celestino Vietti. Don't worry. Well, no. Yeah, I know where he is. I know where he is on your list. I'm not going that left field. Uh, okay. So <laughs> my number one for the year, my, well, I'm being a bit unfair to argue it's not to include let's say my sort of try championship favorite if that's not starting to take too many liberties with Kevin your ass but number one for me and definite title favorite for next year Alonso Lopez wow okay I I get where you're at I'm concerned that the Bosca Cora is not going to be up to the task but well but I get you okay again doing a little bit of research so as as we were talking about Aldega earlier on so as I said he was the Moto2 junior championship i forget what exactly what they call it now i'm not sure if they call it the cv or not i think it's the european moto d championship so he and lopez were in that title fight and aldega won it and lopez was second they were both on the same team both on bosca skewers so aldega came across full-time to the championship this year with fanati as his teammate if you recall and fanati was mm-hmm. bumped out of the team after six races and in came lopez and now i'm not quite sure why lopez wasn't there right from the get-go perhaps somebody that knows more about this can let me know that so Lopez didn't arrive on the scene until I think it was Mugello was his first race. I mean, he was pretty much on fire right from the get-go and all season long. So 14 rounds out of 20 is what he actually did in the season. He had two retirements, it's true, two wins, five podiums, and all of his finishes were in the top 10. So I think he did things on that bike and he really outshone his teammate to boot. He was the champion from the junior season or junior series, sorry, the year before. So I just thought he was absolutely outstanding. And the fact that he did it on the Bosca Skira, I think, makes it even more noteworthy for that very reason, really. You know, he really made that bike work. And I seem to recall he fell off at a couple of races where he shouldn't have done. Uh, Aragon springs to mind, perhaps, as one of them. I think he binned it at Valencia as well, didn't he? So... Bearing that in mind and the fact that he didn't even turn up until round seven, him finishing eighth in the championship and winning two races, I thought was just outstanding. And I think he's clearly a guy that really enjoys where he is. So I think, again, he's really going to be one, probably of the four, as you say, Jim, I think, obviously Acosta. Arbolino should be in and around it. I'd like to think Dixon could be in and around it if he can sort out one or two of the things that we were talking about. Aguirre, yeah, for sure. And I really think Lopez is, is going to be a factor as well. I remains to be seen. I mean, I cannot fault the logic of it, why you have him there. It's true. I mean, we, when, you, when you explain it to me that way, I'm like, well, I guess maybe I should have thought about it more than what I did, but I took the easy way out, I guess. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> you know, say it's subjective, but Lopez was always near the front all year long. Yeah. So and with a year in the championship under his belt now, well, not quite a full year, as I say, he only only did 14 out of the 20 rounds. But with that level of experience on the bike and in the team, perhaps known a few circuits that he hadn't been to before, I have high hopes and high expectations of what he's going to do next year. Having said all that, I want Jake Dixon to win the championship. Obviously, like you want Roberts to win the championship, but, just, you know, because 
that's the way we would think as as Brits and uh, Americans respectively. But yeah, so I mean, I'm really looking forward to the Moto2 Championship this year. I think it's going to be an absolute stonker again. I think so. So you ready to do the wooden spoons? Oh yeah. I only have a couple wooden spoons. I've, so. I've been, I went a bit crazy today. So I've done a, a very, very quick top 10 because it's a big field, obviously much bigger than MotoGP. Oh, yeah. So, uh, and for me, there were sort of 10 standout wooden spoons. Mm-hmm. All right. I think I'm pretty sure who your number one on that list is, is I'm mm. pretty sure he's my number one too. Yeah. Okay. I picked out three people. That... Okay. You go with your three then, Jim, and then I'll okay. quickly rattle through so, my list. W- the, the podium of wooden spoons for Jim, Cambobier. Just there was promise that just never happened for whatever set of reasons you want to put down. There was so many flashes of brilliance that were that became front end tucks that became other things that happened. It just it was just so heartbreaking from the American standpoint. It it was like, okay, fine. (laughs) The second one is the Canet thing. He gets to be in my top 10, but he also gets a wooden spoon because I was going to say, hang on a minute. (laughs) I know it seems odd, right? But it's like, okay, you, you wadded up so many things that you shouldn't have like i could at the beginning of the year you were on track you had all this and then you had port mile so you got caught in the rain you that was absolutely just horrific luck that that happened when it did yeah and you were injured as a result of it and you came back and then you really couldn't do anything else with it now whether that's the injury or not i don't know but then you add into that you know the what was going on off track that he wrote about with it it's like well did that distract you from what you're doing and I don't know. To me, I don't think he, if he's being treated that way, he shouldn't be treated that way. It's not fair. So I'm behind him, but it's like, I don't, I, I can't balance the two. It, for me, it indicated a guy that was letting his mind get sort of drawn yeah. all over the place, you know, just trying to cast blame everywhere else, you know, as a deflection tactic for things that you ought to be addressing yourself. You right. Know? That's exactly. That's why he gets a wooden spoon from me. Yeah. And then my number one wooden spoon, Celestino Vietti. <laughs> Who else? <laughs> Who else? Who else uh, Gary, we did not wait the whole show for this one. I think you saw this coming too, right? <laughs> Shout out to Gary. I love Gary. Yeah. Go ahead, Rich. Give us the wooden. I'll quickly rattle through mine. And so number 10, Romano Finati. Couldn't, okay, good. Could never get good it one. sorted in Moto2. I was thinking, where the hell is he going? Because obviously he was sacked. He's actually back into the Snipers team in Moto3 next year. But bearing in mind, he's going to be 26. So he'll be hitting the age limit in a couple of seasons. So what he does yeah. then... Who knows? Maybe he'll be a rider coach. So Fanati in 10. Uh, number nine, Schrotter. Finished 11th yeah. in the championship. A bit long in the two for Moto2. So he's off to World Super Sport next year. Uh, hopefully he'll be all right and earn a few quid there. And number eight, Jorge Navarro. Finished 14th in the championship. I, I, you know, you were hard-pressed really to remember he was even in the championship for most of last year. He had that kind of infamous leg break, sat on the side of the track, horror show, uh, which was not his fault, by the way, but uh, at Phillip Island, if you remember, when they let the race go yep. on inexplicably for three laps. Yeah. Horrifying. So, you know, yep. he had a uh, an unfortunate end to the season, but uh, he too moves over to World Supersport next year. So he's out of the championship. Number seven, uh, another kind of sob story, if ever there was one, Nico Antonelli. Mm. Uh, didn't score a point all year, not a single point. He's actually, I mean, this is this is heartbreaking, really. He's been bumped down to the European Moto2 Championship that we've been talking about for next year. A guy came in, or just, just as a quick tangent, the guy who came in and replaced Jorge Navarro because he had broken his leg so badly in Philippines. Island was a young chap Spaniard inevitably Borja Gomez I think his name is uh, so he raced in what was the penultimate round Jim where was that was that Philip Island did, we did Philip Island Sepang okay Valencia Valencia so uh, this Gomez kid uh, came in he finished 20th at Philip Island and then 12th in Valencia so Rossi ever the ruthless operator that he is with that team in Moto2 has basically shown Antonelli the door and brought Gomez yeah. in to partner Vietti next year 
Yeah, so Antonelli I had in seventh. I have Sam Lowe's in sixth, mainly just because he only managed to race six times last year. The rest of the time he either crashed or he was injured. Uh, I mean, he did have two podiums, it's true, when he managed to keep up right, but kind of crashes too much. And this is ninth season in Moto2. So you start to sort of think, you know, maybe days might be numbered. And he, he's one of these guys, unfortunately, that crashes and tends to bash himself up quite badly and then miss races as a result. So he's never quite in title contention for that reason. So unfortunately, I had Brit Sam Lowe's in that position. Fifth, Cameron Bobier, like you, just disappointing, flashes of speed and a bit sort of tail between the legs back to America, really. I get that he was missing his home and his family and stuff and all the traveling, living in Europe and stuff was uh, becoming a drag. But I guarantee if he'd had a two or three second or third places this season, he'd be sticking around. So, you know, I just think for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. So fifth for him. Uh, fourth place, Della Porta. Mm. 2019 Moto3 champ, let's not forget, but so far has just not managed to make the Moto2 transition work uh, at all. Now, I think he was quite badly injured for a lot of the season. I think he had a bad ankle injury or something, possibly a shoulder or arm injury that's been plaguing him for a lot of the season. But anyway, as we all say and said earlier on, it's a results-based business and he didn't have a very good year. So he stays in Moto2, he's switching teams. So he's out of the Itel Trans team, I think he's been in this season or last season. So I had him fourth. Third place, I've got Joe Roberts, I'm afraid, Jim. Oh, I, I don't blame you. My notes say, finished ninth, but largely invisible for most of the year. Kind of, inverted commas, slightly lucky win in Portimao. I mean, yeah, he stayed up. He didn't crash at the second corner like a lot of people did. Whether that was local judgment, I don't know. And he managed to keep it on the, you know, the right side up to win the seven lap dash, as you said. But other than that, a pretty lackluster year really he stays in the Ital trans team again this season so let's hope for better things runner up in the wooden spoon Aaron Cannett much the same as what you've said really amazingly third in the championship I couldn't quite get over that when I saw it because as I recalled most of his year he was in the gravel so when he did finish he scored well but didn't get that all important win and as we just said, started bleating off about various things, which may be true. And as you said, Jim, I mean, that's not correct if he is being held back for those sorts of reasons. But yeah, it just seemed like a bit of a deflection tactic to me and needs to win in 2023 and then yes uh, number one who else could it be but uh, <laughs> Celestino Vietti he was leading the championship at the halfway point pretty much as I think that's correct if that's your recollection Jim he had three wins in the first half of the season yeah he was leading the championship for a long time and then the wheels just yeah. literally fell off I mean shoulder saggingly poor form really from the summer break return onwards get this retired from six of the final 10 races and by saying retired, I mean crashed in pretty much all of those, including the last three races of the championship. So, I mean, I think for Vietti, the interesting thing for me now is can he get his head together and perform again out of the gates this season? Because yeah. that's a tough one to take. To have been in that position halfway through the season and then to sort of literally thrown it all away. Don't know what was going on in the team, but I mean, it's a spec chassis, spec engine. So... You can't really blame the machinery. He wasn't having mechanicals. Uh, I can't think of that he had a mechanical failure. I mean, he might have had one perhaps, but most of the time he just fell off, had, you know, front end tucks. So maybe they just went the wrong way on setup and he just kind of got all lost and, you know, lost at sea, as they say. I, I don't know, but it was a, as I say, shoulder saggingly disappointing run of form. Horror show, really, pretty much from Austria onwards. So sorry, Celestino. After the first two or three races, I thought this guy's nailed on champion, almost unstoppable. Yeah, yeah, I think we said, blimey, nobody's going to catch him if he keeps on like this. And then, lo and behold, slow and steady wins the day. So there we go. That was my uh, 10 
could have could have done should have done must do betters for the year Darn. but stoked for the moto 2 championship this year can't wait for it to start jim really getting but, excited now they're into 2023 a lot of talent a lot of really good talent there embarrassingly then, talented you know, field yeah and then if we you know not to slide back to moto gp but if you have the ducatis as good as they are if ktm has made a small step with bender if marquez has a honda that's 15 percent better than what it was could be some really good racing across at least two classes i mean moto 3 is always a psych ward yeah i'm crazy so yeah you know that's the problem with moto 3 you have no idea what kid's gonna come out of spain and just suddenly jump onto the onto the scene that you don't necessarily know about and just throw flashes of brilliance out there that you're unaware of so and i, I just think it's great for us to be able to say in seasons past moto 2 was the race that i wouldn't have lost too much sleep over missing if something else was going on Definitely yeah. not this year. All three classes. I mean, if anything, MotoGP was the one race this year that was probably on balance, not the most exciting race to watch of the three on the day. I mean, as you say, Moto3 is always nailed on to be a, a great spectacle, but Moto2 really stepped up this year. Yeah, I mean, and, and Moto2 was through the through the fingers. Jim's doing that. Everybody's doing the through the fingers thing. So yeah, really looking forward to this season as always. going to be the best season ever, I reckon. Yep, I'll, I'll save this rant for a season preview, but I'm afraid that we're going to see more runaway and not much passing in MotoGP. Oh yeah, so, in MotoGP, um, I think, yeah. Yeah, so I think, so I'm hoping that we get the really good racing in the smaller classes to offset the potentially lackluster races that you may see in MotoGP. I don't know, it could be all be wrong, but we'll save that for the preseason show. I'll just say the only fear I've got in the Moto2 and Moto3 this season is going to be all this bloody rider conduct nonsense that's starting to creep mm. in there, you know, you know, pegging people back all the time. It's like, for God's sake, let them race. You know, if somebody does something really outrageously, stupidly dangerous, fine. Give them a talking to, give them a fine or knock them back on the grid, whatever. But let's not be having too much interference, please, because you're just messing with a great product. So don't do it. Anyway, as you say, Jim, that's a rant probably for pre-season right for a different day yeah yep. uh anyway next next time out we'll do moto three i guess yep moto three where we riders ranks and um wooden spoons yeah i'll try to do better with my wooden spoons <laughs> it's not a thing that we do here in america yeah you know there's nothing wrong with it but i think it, if you're talented enough to be there in the world level then you really don't need a wooden spoon thrown at you but it's part of the fun of being not everybody can win jim I mean, somebody has to finish last you know and they're all yes. trying their hardest so, i mean i think you can pretty much say that without exception but i'm not I have nothing against it, Rich. I just... Who am I to criticise, Jim? I mean, I'm nobody to criticise them, but you just say it as you see it. Honestly, Vietti needed a wooden spoon, right? For the year that he had. Some of the other guys are like on the on the edge. Cam deserved a wooden spoon. I'll, I'll say that, right? You know, all that. I get it. I get it. I understand. You know, like Sam Lowe's, it gives me no pleasure to put him on my bottom 10 list. You know, he goes out in first practice on a cold Friday morning at Silverstone, high sides himself and breaks his wrist. You know, it's just, oh dear. So uh, yeah. that's just the way it goes, isn't it, sometimes? So, uh, yes. you know, but we hope for better things for some of these riders this year. Yep, hopefully. So, all right, guys, we'll be back with the Moto3 rider rankings and wooden spoons. Uh, until then, I want everybody to ride safe. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everyone. Catch you next time. See ya. Thank you.